All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're tuned in to Oilers Nation every day with Tyler Uramchuk. Live every weekday on the Nation Network YouTube. Boosh. The Oilers win in OT. Let's get into it with the lead. I like seeing a little smile from Liam when I do uh, whatever I come up with for the lead. Uh, welcome into Oilers Nation every day, live on the Oilers Nation YouTube and live from the Sports Closet Studio. Look at all this sweet merch behind me. You can get it all. Sportscloset.ca, St. Albert Mall, Kingsway Mall, Sherwood Park Mall. They also have uh, Nation Gear, limited selection of the Nation Gear in store as well. So if you've always wanted Nation Gear, but you want to you know, try it on, see how it fits, Head to one of their stores and check them out. Uh, the first comment today is going to our guy, Les, who says, what a great game last night. Let's go for first. And yes, top spot in the Western Conference, still up for grabs, still within reach for the Edmonton Oilers. They have something to play for in game 82 tomorrow night against the San Jose Sharks. And that is because they took care of business in game 81 against the Colorado Avalanche, a 2-1 overtime thriller against the Avs. The Oilers also finally beating Colorado as well for just the second time in their last 10 meetings. The vibes are good. The Oilers have won eight in a row for the first time in over 20 years, and they're rolling into the playoffs red hot. Who will they play? Where will they play? That's still largely up for grabs. I know I feel like I've been going every show saying, oh, you wait till tomorrow. The playoff picture becomes more clear in the West. And guess what? It's still not really that clear. There's still a handful of possibilities about who this team could play. We're going to get to that. We're going to break down the win. 
We're going to be joined by Frank Saravalli and Liam and I are going to give you our full ballots for the NHL awards. We're doing that today as well. So giddy up, Liam. We got a busy show. Yeah, we are locked and loaded for this one. I wasn't expecting a, a Bush scream right off the top, Tyler. So that was nice and, and well earned by the Bush bomb. Yeah, uh, Bush bomb OT winner. We're going to ask Frank Saravalli about what Evan Bouchard's next contract could look like, because that is a big one. It could be a big one, I should say. And it is a big story mm-hmm. heading into the offseason. Uh, but still, you, I mean, you give the Oilers a power play in overtime, Liam. It's almost automatic. I will say, though, he took a slap shot right before that goal. It was the slap shot that would have caused the whistle for the faceoff. And I was kind of like, why would you take that shot? You know, you got McDavid, Drysaddle on the ice, maybe throwing slap shots on net from close to the blue line in OT isn't the smartest play. And then seconds later, he fires home that wrister. But I actually like the shot selection on the goal. You know, obviously you're going to like it when it goes in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he kind of looked off McDavid there and really made the Avs defenders bite hard on that move. And again, if you give Evan Bouchard that kind of space, lower than the top of the circles, what they'd call the ringette line in some arenas. Uh, he's not going to miss very often. That was a missile of a shot and a very good showcase, Liam, for what makes him such a good defender, defenseman. Yeah, the, the way he opens up his hips uh, just to kind of luck off McDavid and just give himself the extra space is a show of just how much confidence Evan Bouchard has in the moment. And I think, too, like he's obviously famously known in this city for his slap shot. That's why we call him the Bouch bomb. But... Man, that wrist shot has been absolutely lethal for Bouchard too recently. So, yeah, like I know there was a lot of question marks after we traded Barry, how the power play would be and everything. And I know that ans- question has been answered now, but Bouchard is just like taking his role on that power play and absolutely ran with it. And it, it's crazy that he was the one who scored that overtime goal considering he had three 100-point players on the ice with him. And he was the one that put it in the net. But again, just shows kind of the level... Bouchard's at right now and it's it's an elite one I would say I went and watched uh, the ESPN or TNT broadcast of uh, the OT call and right before he scores I think it was Ray Ferraro who is like the Oilers have three of the top power play point producers in the league on the ice and Evan Bouchard scores <laughs> it was like like that like perfect rhythm I loved it but Bouch finds the back of the net only seven goals on the year for Bouchard he is up to the 40 point mark it hasn't been you know, the most consistent year from Evan Bouchard. But since the deadline, he's been lights out. He's looked great on that top power play unit as well. The Oilers power play goes one for four in that hockey game. So if you're one of the people who is watching to see if they can finish the year with the best power play in NHL history, it's going to be very tight. Very, very tight. Mm. 32.4% is what they currently sit at. And uh, the NHL lead is... I just lost it. Come on. I had it right in front of me. Uh, the lead, I think, is just below that. So it's it's going to be tight, Liam. Uh, but that's something as well to watching Game 82 is can the Oilers finish with the best power play in NHL history? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, it's such, it's going to be such an interesting Game 82 for so many reasons. Yeah. Like Still chasing so much up until the last minute. I I just love it. This is how a hockey yep. season should end for almost every single team, to be honest. It's a, just a great way to end it across the NHL. Chance to go for 50 wins as well as uh, Joey, the backup optimist, said in the chat. Uh, so, okay, 32.4 is the Oilers' current percent. 
31.9 is the Habs record from 77-78. So they are half a percent up on the Montreal Canadiens. I'm kind of just hoping for no power plays in the final game. Just don't even give the Oilers a look and they'll be good. It's San Jose, though. So I like the Oilers' chances of hopefully going one for three and locking up that record. Uh, Again, lots to talk about. Let's get into our three big things, though, from last night's hockey game. Brought to you by our friends at Betway 19+. plus. Please play responsibly. And number one on our three big things, Liam, control, control, control. The Oilers seemed in control for almost all 60 minutes in that hockey game last night. They outshot the Avs 31 to 21 at five on five. If you look at the scoring chances in every period, first period, 13 to nine for the Oilers. Second period, five, four for the Oilers. Third period, seven, four for the Edmonton Oilers. That was a very complete game against a very good hockey team. Yeah, 100%. I think every area of the game, the Oilers were the better team, to be honest. Even the shots, I know the Oilers maybe had a little bit more power play time, but still, the power play really wasn't clicking that well until the overtime period. And I think five on five, they did an excellent job of neutralizing the Colorado Avalanche. And I know Colorado was missing some key players, obviously, but you can only play you going up against that night. So the others did a great job of limiting them. It was, there was a couple of times McKinnon kind of came flying down the ice, but the Oilers recovered very, very well. And I think a shout out to the penalty kill as well. They did a great job and I, I showed a stat. I can't remember if it was the last five games or from a certain date, but they were like a hundred percent in the last maybe five games yeah. or so. And additionally, whatever happened last night too. So everything's happening in a good way. And, yeah, just a big statement win. I think they really needed that one. We spoke about it yesterday. You, just, you know, you can't go yep. into the playoffs thinking you can't beat a team and you finally get one over on them. And what, again, was a very, very tight hockey game against Colorado. Yeah. Uh, Drunk Jay says when the oil got the cycle going, the abs really couldn't muscle them off of the puck. I think that's a great takeaway from the hockey game. Sergeant Battle says dad Mm -hmm. and the Viking at Coleman Bouchard top five pairing going into the postseason IMO. Yeah, I mean, they continue to look Mm -hmm. really, really good. And that duo scores your only two goals of the hockey game as well. So some offense from the defense last night as well. Um, someone is complaining about two 15 second unskippable ads. Come on, boys. YouTube sets those, not us. We have no control so, over the pre-roll ads. I'll tell you how that works. So for the person who said it, if you skip ads consecutively, you will eventually get ads that you cannot skip. So every now and then, really? if you've got a minute to run to the bathroom while the ads are rolling, let them roll. That's an that interesting little point. All right, we got to keep going on our three big things for Betway. Number two, Stuart Skinner is officially locked in. I am making that declaration right now. He stops 28 of 29 against the Colorado Avalanche. And over the last couple of weeks, he's been statistically one of the best goalies in the NHL. His last four starts, stops 43 of 43 against LA, stops 20 of 21 against LA, stops 22 of 23 against San Jose, and 28 of 29 against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, For some reason, the NHL website even says he stopped 29 of 29. I think that would be because the Oilers' goal was like an own goal. It was a weird one that started the scoring in that hockey game. Uh, But the point is, Stuart Skinner is dialed right now, Liam, and maybe he can be that next rookie goalie who steals the show in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, that would be nice. I think uh, a credit to the team in front of him, too. We just spoke about the way they played. They've been playing the game recently, and that has definitely helped Skinner. He's not having to make as many 10-bell saves anymore. 
But you look at the goals he's actually allowed. Okay, so there's the Sean Dursey one, I think it was, against LA, which was good screen, good goal. I think many players, many goaltenders were going to stop that one. The one against San Jose was from a direct mistake from Jason Demers. And then the one last night was put in by his own player. So you have his last three goals there, and two of them were direct errors from the Edmonton Oilers. So this guy has been absolutely rock star stuff right now. And uh, let's see if it keeps going. And Jack Campbell, too, to his credit, both goalies have been playing excellent as of late. Yeah, Campbell's been better, but obviously Skinner's going to be the guy carrying the load in the playoffs. Our third big thing last night was the return of Ryan McLeod. He spent the bulk of the game on a line with Warren Fogle and Derek Ryan, and those three delivered some really solid results for Jay Woodcroft. In seven minutes and 25 seconds of five-on-five ice time together, they outscored the Avs one to nothing. Of course, Fogel and McLeod picking up the apples on that Matthias Ekholm goal in the first period. And the shot attempts were 9-3 to for the Oilers with that trio on the ice. Uh, they look pretty good. The Oilers are going to need some depth scoring come playoff time at some point. I know last year it was a lot of 97-29 and kind of running the show. But, I mean, it's just going to be that much easier if you have a bottom six that can consistently outplay the opposition. And it looks like they're maybe starting to get to that point. Liam, I am very intrigued about how a McLeod, Fogel, and Derek Ryan line could look come playoff time. Yeah, I think it's. I think it could be a good one. Wasn't it Ryan and McLeod who had some good chemistry earlier in the year? I think that was right. Maybe it was McLeod and yep. Fogel. I can't remember. But yeah, it just, just brings an extra bit of speed to the fourth line there too, which the Oilers obviously lack when Devin Shaw's in the lineup. So yeah, I like having Ryan McLeod down there and, just having that core of sentiment now of McDavid, Drysaddle, yeah. Bukesad, and McLeod is it's a very good middle middle four right there for the Oilers. So yeah, great first game back from Ryan McLeod, and I'm I'm sure it'll just keep getting better and better from there. That line, uh, it's got a bit of everything, right? You kind of got that veteran savviness mm. of Derek Ryan, and he's a guy who always seems to be on the right side of the puck, right? He's never going to make a bad turnover. He makes smart plays. Ryan McLeod, an absolute burner, can fly up and down the ice. Warren Fogle, when he's engaged and going, brings you a little bit of physicality, and they all have decent scoring touch as well. So I like the look of that. Last mm. night, I'd call it the third line because they played more than Bukestad, Costin, and Yanmark, but I like the look of that call them a bottom six trio for Jay Woodcroft and the Edmonton Oilers. Those are our three big things for our friends at Betway. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Oilers get a 2-1 win over the Colorado Avalanche and keep their chances at top spot in the conference alive. They could still play Winnipeg. They could still play Seattle. They could still play LA. There is a ton on the line in Edmonton for game 82. There's a ton on the line around the NHL. In game 82, some teams still on game 81, I know. But to break all of that down, let's get to our pal Frank Saravalli for Star Mechanical, one of Edmonton's top new home plumbing installers for the past 20 years. If you need 24-7 emergency service, boom, 780-481-8873. If you want to find out more about what Star Mechanical does and how they can help you, starmechanical.ca is where you can find them online. Frank Saravalli is locked and loaded and ready to go. Frank how great is it that right now, like there are, what, 48 hours more or less left in the NHL regular season, and there is one series locked in? There's a lot to play for in these next couple of nights. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, it's amazing. It goes down to uh, game 82 for so many teams. It actually reminds me my first ever season full time on the beat game 82 flyers against Rangers winner gets in, gets the eighth seed. It goes to a shootout in game 82 and the flyers who never win in shootouts beat Henrik Lundqvist of all people and then go as the eighth seed. They actually ended up winning the seventh spot for whatever reason and go all the way to the Stanley cup final. My first year covering the team full time. So 2010, uh, kind of an amazing sequence. And that's, you know, basically what we have at stake, not necessarily in terms of in or out, although that could be the Pittsburgh Penguins on Thursday, depending on what happens tonight with the New York Islanders, all they need one point. So anything but a Montreal win in regulation and the New York Islanders are in. Out of the wild card, I won't say out of the wild card teams, out of the teams that are just kind of clinching in the final week of the season, you got Winnipeg, you got Pittsburgh, or sorry, you got Winnipeg, you got Florida, and then you have one of Pittsburgh or New York. Which one of those teams do you think is the best shot to be the 2023 Philadelphia Flyers and maybe go on a bit of a run here? It's the New York Islanders, and I actually think they're a pretty scary matchup for a team like the Boston Bruins because, you know, I'm not predicting an upset by any stretch of the imagination. The Bruins have barely lost this year. They've got the best goalie in the league. But depending on the night, I think pretty much universally, everyone would nod their head and say yes if you made the argument that Ilya Sorokin was the second best. You know, it, it, like I said, it could be an argument. You could say, no, Igor Shesterkin is or Connor Hellebuck is. Whoever it is, no one would be like, oh, you're crazy saying that Sorokin is the second best goalie in the league this season. So the last thing you want to do if you're the Bruins is get goalied at any point. You head into the playoffs with all these expectations and you're saying, hey, you know what? Uh, we're the best regular season ever in NHL history. Wins and points now after they set that record on Tuesday evening, 133 points. They've talked all season long, and especially in the last few weeks after winning the President's Trophy, about the idea of this trophy doesn't mean anything. We're playing for the ultimate prize. Well, you start to get nervous in a hurry if your team is down at any point in that series. And so 
that's certainly the possibility when you have someone like Sorokin and net capable of stealing a series, uh, capable of stealing games that for a battle tested Islander team that has been quadrupled down on by Lou Lamorello, they've gotten to two Eastern conference finals with most of this core. Like that's the last team that I'd want to face. Yeah, the Sorokin thing alone would scare me. That's why in the West, like a matchup for the Oilers against the Jets would have me shaking in my boots a little bit as an Oilers fan. Like the idea of having Connor Hellebuck just goalie you a couple of times and that killing your series, like that's scary to me. And I don't think that possibility exists with a Seattle. I know Corpus Allo can be that guy, but it doesn't scare me as much as Connor Hellebuck. Like if I'm... The Oilers, I'm sitting there going, okay, we win our last game. It'd be great to win the Western Conference, have home ice all the way through. But a matchup against the Jets is a little like. I don't have any of those same vibes at all. I would, the team that I would least want to face if I were the Oilers would be the Kings. I think there's a lot of motivation for Edmonton to go out and get that number one seed in the West. You need help, of course, from Seattle. But, you know, and, and also, by the way, um, you know, when you when you look at it, yeah, you're going to end up with the Jets if you win the West in that eighth spot. But depending on how things shake out, you could also still face the Kraken who could jump into that number three spot. Um, that I think is if you're ranking the favorable matchups for the Oilers in terms of who the teams you'd most want to face, I think it would be Kraken one, Jets two, and then Kings three. And the reason for that is Corpus Allo's played great, but look at some of the games against the Kings this season. There hasn't been a lot really separating these two teams, and the Kings have had the Oilers' number on varying points um, and and really put them in tough spots. And I think going back to last season in the playoffs, um, yeah, the Oilers made some critical errors and they were kind of toying with the Kings and should have taken care of business earlier. But the fact that last season for an undermanned Kings team then, uh, without Drew Doughty, without um, Victor Arvidsson up they, they still went to game seven. So now their goaltending has vastly improved. They've added a leading scorer this season in Kevin Fiala. I don't, I wouldn't like, I, again, not predicting an upset, but I wouldn't be shocked if you told me that the Oilers were playing for the cup final, uh, playing in the cup final in June. Or if you told me that if they played the Kings in the first round, that the Oilers lost to the Kings in the first round. Yeah, I like. I think uh, you're bang on. An Oilers Kraken series. I think Edmonton can just get by on their skill. I would have no concerns there. Yeah, an Oilers King series. I'm sitting there going, "Okay, that is a like dog fight, grinded out. You're gonna need some lucky bounces in that series in order to walk away from it on either side. It's, it'd be really, really tight uh, if the Oilers and Aaron. Maybe we could just flash up the standings quickly here to run through the possibilities for everyone while we're on the topic. If LA beats the Kings. Or brings that game to overtime, they are locked in as the three seed. If the Kings lose to Anaheim and Seattle wins, they then jump LA and they become the three seed. The only way for Edmonton to play Seattle is if Edmonton, uh, the Edmonton result, I mean, they could lose to San Jose or the Kraken could win in overtime and the Oilers could win because then Vegas would get a point. They'd move up to 110. Edmonton wouldn't catch them. 
but LA would lose, Seattle would jump them. It's still very confusing, uh, but tomorrow night is going to be the big night that determines the seeding in the Pacific Division and really the Western Conference. Uh, Frank, I want to take this a bit of a different direction quickly and talk about one of the teams that's not in the playoffs, and that's the Calgary Flames. Uh, they had a busy summer last year. Is this summer going to rival that? Like, what the hell are they going to do there? Like, ownership there must just be losing it. it it's a tough, tough call to make because I don't think you can bring back both or everyone in that fold. It felt like you kind of took a little joy in asking that question, did you? I saw a little smile there. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit? Okay. Summer um, of Brad, we all heard it. <laughs> yeah, well, he was the first to say it then, I think. Uh, we're not into Stanley Cups in the summer. Um, so he was sort of recognizing that a long time ago. Um, but in this case, I, changes are coming. Um, I, I can say that for absolute certainty. There is a 0% chance, and I rarely, you know me, I couch almost everything I say, so I do not speak in absolutes more, you know, unless I'm 100% certain. There are changes coming, and there is a 0% chance that both Daryl Sutter and Brad Tree Living are back together next season as coach and GM. And I'm not saying, I'm not pitting the two, you know, and saying it's one or the other, because it's also entirely possible that neither one of them is back. So there is a multitude of possibilities that exist. Daryl Sutter stays and Brad Tree Living goes. Brad Tree Living stays and Daryl Sutter goes, or they both go. Um, but I don't see this you know, getting run back, at least leadership wise, the same way. In in the same token, I don't see, depending on who takes over, a ton of, of change coming with their roster because so many of these guys are locked in. And there's a million reasons why we can pick through the carcass of, of why the Flames ended up in this spot. But they had some guys that are in the final year of their deals that are um, you know, vastly sort of exceeded what their salary cap number is. And I think of Toffoli, I think of Backland. Um, and there are some guys that were really disappointing that also have huge cap hits moving forward, like Huberto. Uyghur played a little bit better toward the end, but for the most part had a rough year. And Jacob Markstrom and Nett, like there's only so much change you can make for a team that's already at the cap for next season. Yeah, and a couple of those guys, like Lindholm as well, he's a guy who's the UFA at the end of next season, one year left on that deal. I'd imagine if you're the Flames, you don't want to run the risk of a guy walking for nothing next year. It's interesting. I just I look at this roster, and I feel largely uninspired by the talent they have there. And when you look at the top five teams in the West, Frank, Colorado has a as the superstar pieces, right? McKinnon and McCarr. Dallas has Robertson. Minnie has Kaprizov. Vegas has Eichel. I don't see that guy in Calgary. And I wonder if they just keep trying to bring back sort of this same core year after year. Are you maybe not toiling in mediocrity and just kind of saying, ah, hopefully we catch lightning in a bottle. I just, I don't know if they have that one piece even coming in their system that can be that guy for them. Maybe I'm being too hard on a guy like Jonathan Huberto, but there's a part of me that goes, what if they just said, okay, we're giving, we're selling off Lindholm and Toffoli and Backland and we're going to try just reboot this thing for 24 months and get a high pick next year or something like that. Is there any chance they do that or no way? Well, there's a chance. I just think it's a more likely chance that they try and run it back and be, I, I think the cautionary tale with that is that you end up like the Winnipeg Jets this year, that there's a chance that you have better success, but in the end you're the eight seed and no one's really looking at you as a true contender. 
I will quibble though with the your thought process on their roster construction in the sense that I think Jonathan Huberto, after setting the record last season for most points by a left winger in NHL history, that he didn't just wake up this year and forget to play how to play hockey. And I do think that it's been a trying year from the coach perspective. He's the left winger, plays five months of the year on the right side. Not entirely sure why. Why did Milan Lucic spend the bulk of the season inside the Flames' top six? There were a million head-scratching decisions, and the idea that you know Nick Ritchie was the guy taking the shootout attempt was sort of the cherry on top. Um, and so I, I think that's been an issue, but think about how we looked at this Calgary team to start the year. We were saying they have three legitimate centers. You know, when you can put Backlund, who's going to end up on my Selkie trophy ballot in the three hole, you're pretty well positioned down the middle. And Kadri had a disappointing season. Huberto should play better. Toffoli had a monster year for his contract numbers. Um, and, and we also forget that they didn't have one of their top four defensemen all season long in Oliver Shillington, who was dealing with a mental health issue and never came over from Sweden. So that sort of dealt them a last second blow. And then Jacob Markstrom and that, like that is the number one issue to me for this team all season long. When you go from 922 to 892, how many points in the standings is that? Eight, 10? Like, I think all of a sudden we're talking about a different Calgary team and not to say that, um, you know, they can compete with the superstar factor of the Oilers, but why is this Calgary team on paper any better or any worse than Vegas? Like, I think Jack Eichel is the most disappointing $10 million player in the league by a wide margin. Uh, you tell me, like, I, I just, I don't, I look at that team and I say, they're just on par with Vegas and Vegas won the division. Look at their goaltending yeah. and look at the numbers and look at how different that is. Yeah, maybe I'm giving a bit too much credit to Eichel and not enough to Huberto. I think that's a fair point. I guess the other counter would be look at a team like LA who seems to do it with depth, right? And not having one superstar high-end offensive producer. So yeah, maybe running it back is uh, is a play that could work out. And I like that you brought up Markstrom, even Vladar. They were both under 900. 17 OT losses. Like if you have a goalie who's humming at 905 for the bulk of the season, you probably win half of those OT games, right? Like one goal in those. It, that's they that's a ton just of one eight points games, yeah. right there, let alone all yeah. the other ridiculous things that happened. Jacob Markstrom giving up a pizza rebound, you know, as they blow yet another th- third period lead. Like how many times did that happen this year? A lot. Yeah. So I, um, I think you can cut it any which way you want, Tyler. You could make the argument that, this team is no good and you need to blow it up. You could also make the argument that maybe they're a lot better collectively than they showed this season. So I don't know which way whoever's managing that team next, if it's not Brad Tree Living, we'll look at it. But I think there's compelling cases to be made for both sides. We're going to steer this back uh, to the Oilers here because there are a couple of people in the chat when we started the segment wanted me to pick your brain a little bit on the Skylar Brindamore situation. Is that a story at all or is that just a guy who goes, Ah, I'm going to get a better shot to move up, a, move through an organization quicker somewhere else. Like, is that a, should Oilers fans feel offended that he didn't sign in Edmonton? Not at all. Um, my understanding of the situation is the Edmonton Oilers were not willing to offer Skylar Brindamore an NHL deal. They offered him an AHL only contract. And he felt like, you know, with the year that he had taking a big step forward, that 
he'll get an opportunity elsewhere. And I saw all the comments on social media. They were saying, oh, yeah, congratulations. You're going to get an opportunity with your daddy's organization in Carolina. And I actually don't think that's the case. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a trade materialize potentially. Um, it's getting a little bit late now, but that the Oilers just do right by the player and say, hey, you know, we appreciate, you know, whatever this conversation was, but, you know, we'll set you free and we'll trade you to somewhere else for future considerations just to give you a shot somewhere else. Obviously, you can just wait until August and walk. I do think the Oilers got some feelers on Skylar Brindamore on Tuesday. Uh, again, this late in the season, don't know if, if it will materialize, but the other option too is to sign him to an AHL amateur tryout contract to finish out this season, gets him playing in the AHL this year with that NHL contract to come in August for next season, whenever that's signed. So um, the Oilers sort of drew their line in the sand. I think they they had some questions about his game and his play, and they just said, you know, Congratulations on the national championship, but we're offering you an AHL contract. The other Oilers related question I got for you is about the guy who scored the OT winner last night, and that's Evan Bouchard up to seven goals, 32 assists on the season. But it's been a weird year for Bouchard early in the year, struggled defensively, bunch of bad turnovers. And then Barry leaves. He gets that number one power play spot. Offensive production goes through the roof. Matthias Ekholm seems to be the Bouchard whisper. The two of them have looked great together. That next contract, do you think it's a situation where the Oilers don't have a ton of cap space and they just go, hey, we're going to bridge you. It was an inconsistent year. Or do you think there's a chance that they can maybe get something done long-term-ish? I I don't see a path as currently constituted for a long-term deal. I, I think they're thinking bridge. I think they're hoping bridge. And if it gets to the point where he's not willing to sign bridge and only wants a long-term deal and wants to cash in now – I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that you could see Bouchard traded this summer. Uh, I don't think that's anything that the Oilers want to do, but at the same time, they're dealing with somewhat limited salary cap parameters. And I, I do think what's promising, you know, I, I, I've eaten crow plenty of times publicly about the concerns I had for the trade, making the swap from Barry to Bouchard in the middle of the season on the power play. The numbers have been better. Um, my big thing with Bouchard has always been urgency. He just, it, I, and maybe it's an eye testing for me. Maybe it's a bias that I have that I need to get past. I don't see the necessary urgency in his game, whether it's foot speed or whatever it is that contributes to that decision-making process that I'm like, I, I just wish he had a little more juice um, that I, I think has held him back, that if he had some of that, a part of it is what has made him successful, especially at such a young age, which he, he doesn't really get rattled a lot. But the other part of it is like, I just... I would like to see a little bit more of that at times in his game. You want to see him beat the hell out of someone. No, that's not it. <laughs> I just want to see him physically, not not even physically, just engage more in the play yeah. by getting to spots quicker and showing the urgency quicker. Yeah, that's fair. I The other part of this too, like you mentioned, if Bouchard only wants to go long-term, I almost think, you know, from a player and an agent perspective, it's like, hey, if you look at the back half of the season you just had with Matias Ekholm, you're going to play with that guy again next year. Like I understand maybe wanting to cash in a little now, but like if this guy has improved five on five play next year with Ekholm, plays on a bridge deal and puts up 55 points because he's on the Oilers power play quarterbacking it for all 82 games. Like, man, we could be talking about a guy who's putting himself into the what? Seven, $8 million range. If he's a 55 Easy. to 60 point D man. 
Easy. And, and I think there was an avenue this past summer to extend him and to get to that bridge deal already. And he was already kind of betting on himself saying, you know what, I'm going to wait and see how this year plays out. And I bet halfway through the year, he was like, ah, I probably should have gotten that done because even the bridge deal was going to, it was going to cost him money on that, I think, based on the previous years and the numbers he had already compiled. So now moving forward, you know, I, I think you bet on yourself and, and pocket whatever the number ends up being, uh, two times three and a half, two times four, whatever that number looks like. You put that in your pocket and you say, I'm playing for that $8 million a year deal moving forward after that. Yeah, people in the comments guessing what they think it could be. I mean, like it, it's not going to be. A, if you're going to bed thinking the Oilers are signing eight by four for Evan Bouchard, it's just absolutely not happening. Like you said, the bridge deal could very well cost you close to $4 million bucks. That will be one of the bigger stories in the offseason for the Oilers. But they got the playoffs to worry about uh, until then. Liam and I are going to be given our NHL awards picks, Frank. We put on our PWHA hats, uh, professional hockey writers, and we did the whole ballot. Uh, what award for you is the is going to be the toughest to kind of decipher when you're voting on? Like, what are the big decisions you've been kind of wrestling with? So I've got my ballot typed up. I haven't hit send yet, but the the only real hurdle for me has been the Naris, and I don't yeah. don't really know what to do there. I keep calling people around the league that I talk to regularly to say, "Hey, what do you think? Like, am I absolutely crazy pushing Eric Carlson way down my ballot?" And they throw a bunch of different stats at me, and I've yet to really hear a compelling argument as to why Eric Carlson, who's had this amazing all-world offensive season, you know, the first 100-point campaign that we've seen since 1992. That Tyler, you were like negative five years old in 1992. Correct. Um, yep. Like, and so you're looking at it, and you say, well, how do you how do you wrestle with that? Plus the fact that this is an all-around defenseman award that's not best offensive season. That's not what this is about. So I struggle with the fact that Carlson doesn't play a lick on the penalty kill. And then people say, well, he's better in the defensive zone than you might imagine. He's got 33% more defensive zone exits, meaning he skates the puck out than any other defenseman in the entire league. And I'm like, okay, great. I need some context for that stat. I'm I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I'm an eye test guy. And I always look at the numbers because you're ha- only you know half complete without them, but so he tries to exit the zone thirty three percent more. He does it successfully thirty three percent more than anyone else. Okay, that might mean that he has seventy five more failed defensive zone attempts than anyone else too, because maybe they just don't have the same risk profile. So I'm struggling with it. I tend to look way more at some of the the guys that play two and a half minutes a night. Kel McCarr is playing three minutes a night this season on the penalty kill. How do I how do I wrestle with that and the games that McCarr has missed this season was was McCarr twenty five percent better than everyone else in all the games that he played because he missed a quarter of the season you know what do you do with Hampus Lindholm was he the best defenseman even on the Bruins this year uh, Adam Fox had a tremendous year Miro Haskinen doubled his point total from last season like. I really don't know what to do. I'm ready to hit send on everything else with my ballot except for the Naris. And I'm, I'm struggling with it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lost. Yeah. When I went and did this exercise over the last kind of whatever, 24 hours getting ready for the show, that's the one where I'm just like, 
yeah, Liam and I are going to have this debate, but like Eric Carlson offensively was miles ahead of everyone else, right? Did something that hasn't been done since the early 90s. But does that make up for, and again, when I've watched him in games this year, I'm like, he is so disengaged in his own end. And like the amount of times he just makes non-competitive plays or attempts on pucks or on players, like it's crazy. And I just... Again, even that most recent game against the Oilers, I was just watching him a couple times, like laughing, being like, how can this guy be winning the award for best defenseman this year? But he's so much better offensively. So like, that's got to be worth something. I don't know. It is a tough So call. what would you do? It'll be interesting to see it. Pardon? What are you going to do if you're with your hypothetical awards ballot? And maybe, maybe someday we'll get you a real one. Yeah, that'd be something. Uh, for me, I did end up putting him at number one just because I feel Felt like there was a lot of guys who were very tight in a lot of the other metrics I looked at. I couldn't, I wanted to give it to McCarr, but he missed too many games. And I'm a believer that again, it's an in-season award. It's based on that one year and you got to play the games to actually be eligible for it. Um, and then I had, you know, Adam Fox, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Morrissey, even Dougie Hamilton was in my brain a little bit. I looked at all those guys and I'm like, they're all close. Carlson was at least so far ahead offensively that I was like, I can't ignore that. Like it's historic what he did. So then, okay, work through this process with me. If I don't have Carlson at number one, should I leave him off the ballot entirely? See, because and if you're I'd really say no making the argument that it, it does come down to just all-around play, well, then he just doesn't have it at all and therefore shouldn't be even in your top five. Yeah, but I think there is like... There's, it's not black and white. It's not like only picking an offensive D-man or only picking a defensive defenseman. Like you can combine those two areas. And I think his offensive rating this year is just so high that it makes up for his defensive rating being a little below average. And there's something in the middle there. Like I think he belongs on the ballot. There is something to be said about exiting the zone and getting the puck out of dangerous areas that way versus like breaking up a cycle. They both in a way get the job done defensively, right? Yeah, I, it depends how rigid of a voter you want to be. Like, yeah. same thing with putting Dreisaitl on your Hart Trophy ballot. Like, he's not going to be in my top five. And the reason for that is the award is most valuable player in the league. And if you pick someone else from that team, then that means that he's not even the most valuable player on his team and then therefore shouldn't be in the running for the Hart. So I'm not yeah. going to have Dreisaitl on my Hart ballot even though it's maybe the second best season that we've seen from anyone in the last 20 years. If he puts up a couple of points against San Jose, um, I mean, it'll need to be a handful of points, I guess, but it'll be the second best season production wise. This century could be third behind Kucherov. Cause I don't think he's going to end up getting into 128 now. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like it's crazy to look at that, but again, rigid voters, right? There's some voters who, if a team doesn't make the playoffs, that guy's not touching their ballot. And I think now that the Panthers are in, Matt Kachuk's a lock for number two, but if they would have missed, he might not have been on like 50% of people's ballots. I have Kachuk at number three. I have Miko Rantanen at number two, 54 goals this season. Like he was their, I think he was their MVP, even though McKinnon hit a hundred points for the first time in his career. But what is the chat? I don't have the chat up on my screen, but what's the chat saying about me not putting Dreisaitl in my top five for heart? Uh, My pal Mainlander Tim said, boo Frank. So that <laughs> thanks tim i 
I think they get it though. I think they get it. Like it makes sense. Like he's not the most valuable player on his team. You could actually make the argument dry saddle this year has been the third most valuable player on his team behind, behind McDavid and Stuart Skinner. So like, I get it. I wouldn't have had dry saddle in my top five if I was voting on the award either. Are you saying that just to make me feel better? Because Tim hurt my No, no. (laughs) Tim's a great guy. Tim uh, brought these beers when we met up with him in Toronto from, you'll get a kick out of this, Frank. Dildo Newfoundland, the Dildo Brewery. Huh. See, that's a lot of, uh, I just said rigid voters, Dildo. That's a lot of things going on in this chat today. Seems like it's a good time for us to end this segment. Frank, uh, thanks for doing this. We'll chat again next Wednesday. See you, Tyler. Frank Saravalli for our friends at Star Mechanical and StarMechanical.ca. Go give them a look. Go click around a little. See what Star Mechanical's all about. We are at the 40-minute mark of today's show, and we have not started our third segment. So, Liam, pitter-patter, let's get at her. Let's tell the people what we're doing for NHL awards. And you know what? We are going to start at the top with the Hart Trophy. Here is, are we going yours first or mine first? This looks like mine. Okay, you take it away. Explain, because you got Leon in the five spot. I did. I put Leon Drysaddle there because I'm a homer and also because he's going to – He's. we've spoke about this before. He's just going to get overlooked for it, and I just think his season is top five worthy. Hell, it's MVP worthy, but obviously you can't put him as number one because Connor McDavid's there, but I just wanted to give him some credit. I guess going to four, Ilya Sorokin, like – I think I spelled Sorokin wrong, but either way, where where would the Islanders truly be without Sorokin? Honestly, like they, they don't have a point per game player all this season. I think he has the most shutouts in the league. I know his numbers don't quite match what Olmark does, but it's a different scenario. So the fact the Islanders are likely going to squeak into the playoffs with the team that they have, it's off the back yeah. of what Sorokin's done all season. And then the top three, I mean, obviously Frank just said Ranton and there. I don't have him in my top five, but... David Pasternak had 60 goals. Kachuk, I believe he had 30 more points than anybody else on the Panthers, and they didn't even have another 80-point scorer. And then, obviously, Connor McDavid, I'm not going to explain and waste my breath. Yep. Uh, Here's what I went with, and I like that you had a goalie on there. I did as well. Our ballots do look very similar. McDavid at one. Listen, Matt Kachuk finished with like 40-some more points than second place on that team. That is remarkable. He was a driver for them. He drove them, drove, dragged them back into the fight when it looked like they were down and out. So Kachuk absolutely has to be at number two. I think there's close to being an argument that Matt Kachuk's a top five player in the whole NHL. That's how impressed I've been with him down the stretch here. Uh, David Pasternak at three. The dude scored 60 goals. Last year, Austin Matthews scored 60, and it gave him the Hart Trophy right there. So Pasternak's got to be in the top three for me. Again, they were missing Marshawn for the start of the year, and Pasternak uh, did a great job of kind of carrying the load offensively. Jason Robertson in my four spot, 30 more points than anyone else on his team. He finished with over 300 shots on goal this year. They barely had another player hit 200. He had 103 more shots than anyone else on that team. This dude was their wasn't their whole team offensively, but he was their clear-cut driver offensively. And for a team whose offensive depth I don't think is that good and who I thought would be winning a lot of games with their goaltending and their blue line, Robertson is a big reason why they're a playoff team. And number five, like I don't love putting goalies 
on Hart Trophy ballots because if you were to truly look at the definition of this award, Liam, I think it would be a goalie winning it every year if you were a literal voter. Like it is the most important position. And if you have an elite goalie, Hellebuck, Sorokin, even a UC Soros type, Linus Allmark this year, like if you have an elite goalie, if you were to replace him with an average goalie, a lot of teams making the playoffs this year would have missed. So I have a tough time putting goalies high up, but I just can't ignore the fact that Connor Hellebuck in 14 straight starts down the stretch allowed three goals or less. And that's pretty much, well, no, it is the only reason the Jets made the playoffs. So I went with Hellebuck in my five slot. I couldn't do it on dry sidle. I just, again, I think he might be the third most valuable player on his team. So for that, I can't have him in my top five. I um with the goalie thing, I think a fair way to evaluate it is not the top teams, but teams who like just squeak into the playoffs, like a Hellebuck or Sorokin, where it's like, okay, if you didn't have this guy, you wouldn't have made it. Like the others had average goaltending this year. If you put Hellebuck on that team, they would have been even better, right? But they were still elite without him. So I think that's kind of how I judge a goalie on a heart ballot. Unless you're Sorokin kind of season. Yeah. Shusterkin, yeah. Nope. sorry. That's fair. Uh, Norris Trophy, Liam, let's flash yours up. Take us through uh, your top three, your top five here. The Norris Trophy. Well, do you know it's funny? Because, I I mean, I feel like Carlson is just getting this award. But I I did have a good think about it when I saw he had like 100 points and he was minus like 27 on the season. And I just recalled the overtime effort he had against Darnell Nurse when the others came back that game. And his defensive game is, quite frankly, horrendous. So... I, I think that's good for, for still, though. Like, I don't know. I, I would take him. And then Adam Fox has obviously just been great all over the ice this season in all situations. Kel McCall would have been higher for me considering he was over a point-per-game player, but he also missed a good chunk of the season. Josh Morrissey, we were calling him Norrissey for most of the year. I think when a lot of Winnipeg Jets players decided to not score points anymore, Morrissey was still finding a way to be an elite defenseman for that team. And then Brandon Montour, I'm, I know he's not going to be on many ballots, but I thought I'd give him a little bit of a shout out considering Florida didn't have Ekblad for most of the year. They traded Uyghur as well. And then also he set the single season record for the most points by a Florida Panthers defenseman. So I liked him to put him at five and just give him a, a little bit of a, a deserved vote from someone who yeah, can't he actually has some. He has some pretty impressive defensive metrics. Like I have no problem with Brandon Montour being on your lineup because, again, I do think there are a lot of voters who use that five spot as like their hat tip spot. Like, hey, this guy had a sneaky good year and I want to give him some love because it's largely inconsequential to the top spot. Um, but I'll, I'll flash up mine here if we have it, Aaron. Um, mine's similar to yours as well. Kale McCarr wins this thing for me if he plays... 15 more games, but he didn't, right? He missed a lot of hockey and I, I just can't have him as my number one. But then I look at Carlson and I go, how could I have him as my number one? Cause he's not good defensively or he's not great defensively, but the best defense is a good offense. He moved the puck out of his zone better than really anyone in the entire NHL. And that's gotta be worth something. You know, his plus minus is junk, but he played on a junk team with not good goaltending. So how can you really fault him for that? Like if you took Carlson and you put him on the abs, what do his numbers look like this year? Mm-hmm. His offensive numbers are better. And I bet you if you paired him up with Devin Taves, he'd have great defensive metrics. So then that's kind of where I'm like, okay, now am I punishing Eric Carlson for being on a bad team? Cause he probably was, if you talk about on ice impact, the most impactful defenseman in the NHL. 
And that's eventually where I came out on it. He was the most impactful D-man in the league. And I think, yeah, that that is 99% of what he, because of what he does offensively. But I just, I couldn't, I wanted to be like, no, he's not good defensively. Can't put him on there. But I just couldn't ignore how historically good he was on a bad team offensively. So that's why I had him at number one. I also had, I wanted to give love to Hampus Lindholm. He was sort of my Brandon Montour-esque pick, if you want to call it that, Liam. Josh Morrissey, I had five, but Lindholm was a beast defensively. Some of the metrics I looked at on natural stat trick paint him in a very, very positive light. That team didn't have Charlie McAvoy for a chunk this year. Lindholm carried the mail. He was their best defenseman this year, and I wanted Lindholm to make an appearance on my ballot. Uh, Before we move along to the Calder, I want to catch up on what you guys are saying in the chat. Uh, Les says, drop Carlson, add Truba. No way. Jacob Truba is just physical. He's not actually elite defensively. Peter says, Ekholm for Norris. Damn it, why not? Joel says, Nurse will get Norris votes at some point. Doubt it, but you never know, I guess. Uh, Patrick says Fox carried the Rangers D this year. hundred percent deserves to be there. I think he will get a lot of love. Actually. I do think Adam Fox has a very good Norris case. He's won it before as well. Like they do have that, but I think this year enough voters will want to recognize Carlson's historic year and that will propel him to number one. I had him at number one. So did Liam. Uh, let's go Calder trophy Liam, where I can see we're on the same page here as well, but take me through your list. I mean, Stuart Skinner, really, where would the others be without Skinner this season? I, I'm quite frankly not sure if they would be anywhere close to where they are at the moment. So Stuart Skinner, for me, has been the best rookie this season. Uh, Matthias Michelli, I think, being on Arizona has put a very good numbers. He has the best points per game from a, uh, a rookie that played 40 or more games, I believe it is, more than Matty Benia. So I have him coming in at two. I know his point total isn't quite there with comparison to Benias, but he's also played like 15 less games than him. So I have him there. Maddie Benias, probably the best team on a playoff team in the Seattle Kraken this season. So I liked him. Logan Thompson was probably a front runner for this award for a large chunk of the year, at least in consideration to be a finalist. So up until the injury got recently, I think it's fair to put him in this category. He kind of got thrown into the wolves with the Vegas Golden Knights goaltending situation this season. So give him some credit then. And Mason McTavish has had a very good season on what has been a very poor Anaheim Ducks team, which was supposed to take a step ahead this season and took about 20 back. But Mason McTavish was a very good player on that team. A lot of people loving that you have the all-star Stuart Stuart Skinner up there. Joel says Beneers at third question mark, but Joey says Liam's on point here. Uh, We can compare this one to mine and I'm with you. Stuart Skinner's number one. But Matty Beneers had better numbers. Matty Beneers plays a more difficult position as a center. He is a top-line center on a playoff team. I think that right there is worth something. Like, I mean, we talked about Ryan Nugent Hopkins early in his career having to deal with, like, impossible matchups, how hard that is for a young guy to survive, to thrive when he has that burden defensively. Beneers found a way to thrive with that this season. So I think he deserves a ton of love. It's going to be tight between him and Skinner. I think the voters will give it to Beneers. I have Skinner as my number one, though. I have Michelli at three. I really wrestled with these bottom three spots, though. Michelli produced a lot. He was a good, good player on that Coyotes team. Mason McTavish was damn good, too, though. And I think long-term, he's going to be the better player. But this is, in again, based on one season award, not a looking forward thing. That's why I didn't have Logan Thompson on it. He got hurt. 
didn't play enough games in my opinion. So Thompson, not on my ballot. Owen Power, though, was the best defenseman of all the rookies in the league this year. And I think that deserves some love, too. I think sometimes we stat watch a little bit too much with these awards. And Owen Power's stats aren't jumping off the page at anyone. But he consistently played top 4D on a non-playoff team that had some tough matchups in that Eastern Conference. And he survived them all. And I think that is worth a lot. The number one overall pick had a really good rookie year. So I had Owen Power as my five Liam and I had Logan Thompson off my ballot. Time flew by today on the show. So uh, Liam, we're actually, how about we save? Let's tease. We got Jack Adams and we got Vesna tomorrow. Let's do that tomorrow. Sounds good. I keep muting my mic because the echo keeps coming back, Tyler, and I don't know what to do. So I've muted <laughs> my mic when you're talking. Well, the show's almost over, so uh, we don't need to worry about that. Instead, we can get to our Betway picks for tonight. Aaron, hit the button. We hit 100 likes. We've got north of 350 people watching the live stream right now. Things are going well. We've almost streamed for an entire hour from the Sports Closet Studio. Liam, you want to try uh, make the people some money tonight? What do you like tonight? Well, the New York Islanders need one point to clinch a playoff spot. So I just got a sneaky feeling they're going to go out there and just want to score some goals. I know I spoke about them when, this, when I was talking about Sorokin, how they don't score a lot, but Montreal allow a lot of goals. So I just feel like this one could go over now on. And then Jason Robinson, when he scored a point, he scored two in his last four or five games. So I like that one at plus 162 and then the over at plus 125. I think it's also hitting back-to-back games for the Islanders or something too. So the the trends are there. Trends are there. I like that Robertson one, actually. That's a Dallas team that does have something to play for tonight. And Robertson, like you said, hit this in four of his last five with a total of 10 or 11 points in that span. So I really like that Jason Robertson bet. If you're looking for a shot prop tonight, the Anders Lee shot prop is a spot I would definitely look at. He's hit that in three consecutive Game shout out to our friends at Betway 19 plus. Please play responsibly. This was a long one. Mainlander Tim says Raptors money line. Yes. Liam, do you think the Raps can win their play-in game tonight against the Chicago Bulls? Yes. I have you have to say yes. We need playoff basketball back in the north here. So go Raps, even though I'm a Celtics fan. I dig that. I dig that. Uh Braden says, I mute the stream when Tyler talks too. Okay, sure. Uh, also, Liam, my beer league team tonight, do we avoid elimination for the fifth time this year and win our playoff game? Yes, you guys have proven you can perform with your backs against the wall. There's no reason to doubt the Chiefs tonight, Tyler. Hell yeah. Uh, my boy, I see Dylan Cardinals in the chat, uh, the goalie who has saved our season. I found him by putting out a tweet saying I need a goalie for my beer league team tonight. Dylan slid into my DMs. We were on like a 10-game losing streak at that point. Since then, boom, we're now uh, we're now in the division finals. And we're playing tonight at Rogers Place. So playoff hockey at Rogers Place tonight. I am, as you can tell by the smile on my face, very excited for that, Liam. So hopefully my beer league team comes through and I'm not miserable tomorrow. Good luck, Tyler. But also, I have one shout-out too. Shout-out to... Um, yep. Former show of Park Crusader, Michael Benin, who signed yes. a professional contract today with the Florida Panthers. Brother of Matt Benin, who played for the Oilers. So good St. Albert boy. He's very good when he was with the crew and had a great career with the University of Denver too. So good luck in Florida to Mike Benin. 
Yes, Mike Benning, good St. Albert boy as well. So there you go. Uh, that is a wrap on today's edition of the show. Shout out to everyone who tuned in over the last 55 minutes. A long stream today, but we're getting ready for the playoffs. We're going on location next week for some shows. It's going to be a good time. You won't want to miss it. So hit the subscribe button on the Oilers Nation YouTube. Hit the like button on this video before you leave the show today. And we'll be back tomorrow. Sherwood Ford Giant Game Day, noon Mountain Time. Chat with you then, everybody. 